0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative
1: truth. The conservative review with Daniel Horowitz.
0: And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, liberty, property in the way it matters, at the time it matters. Daniel Horowitz back here for this cold Wednesday, January 3rd, your only one stop shop of truly independent conservative talk. And not just talk, but doing. You see, in this industry, we're ready back to our old ways. I could see finally some people came back from their long vacations. And it's all about style or symbolism, but never about substance and outcomes. And that's why yesterday, the big news story, think about it. With everything going on at the border, when we need to mobilize, as we talked yesterday, for the budget battle, mobilize for primaries, mobilize for state legislative sessions, red states, and not just the legislature, but focusing on the executive branches, the judicial branch, making red states like the blue states are blue. Oh, look at the libs. Look at what they're doing. Yeah, look at what they're doing. So why aren't we doing commensurate where we supposedly have control? But the big story was that the Harvard president resigned due to plagiarism. And I get it, it's a nice scalp, I I, I understand it, I, kudos to the person who exposed that, but I have news for you. If what we continue to do every day is just expose the left, okay, we're just exposing the left, in areas of the country that they will inevitably control, no matter what we do anyway, while not wielding our influence, where we can and must wield it, then what's the point? You're not going to control Harvard. You're not going to gain Boston or Massachusetts. They'll just appoint the next gay uh, dean of, of Harvard. I mean, you know, they'll they'll throw them overboard. You know, you expose something like a, like a Hunter Biden. We talked about this yesterday. They're willing to throw one of their own overboard because they have an unlimited supply of people to take their place and especially in blue areas you have to understand in blue areas they have brainwashed the public a mixture of education and demographics and immigration to the point that you can't win it anyway so you know we could laugh at Harvard all we want but the bottom line is you go to places like University of Wyoming schools in Idaho schools in North Dakota and they're just as bad, bet- Texas. They're just as bad as anything in a blue state. What are we doing about that? But, we'll, but we like our symbolism. We love symbolism. In a blue area, the best you can get is a symbolic pirate victory. In a red area, you can get enduring victories, like we see in Florida, but uh, you know, you're not allowed to talk about that. And... In in a similar vein, we're gonna have Chip Roy on coming up, our first guest of the year to to open up the year, a man that is always pushing true substance over symbolism. So today, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. So Republicans, led by, well, not led, but, but uh, Mike Johnson, the speaker, is attending. But it's led by Tony Gonzalez. He's the C- rhino congressman from that you know, big area of north, I forget the number district, but north, uh, southwestern Texas. That entire boot of Texas. He's leading the delegation of 60 Republicans to the border to just take a photo op. Okay, focusing on the cartels and the border was what we did 10 years ago. Now there's nothing to focus on. You don't need to go and have a a, a tourism of the invasion. It's what are you going to do about it? And yesterday we we laid down that blueprint. So Chip Roy, and we're going to have him coming up, he was like, screw that. Even though I'm a Texas Republican, I'm not attending that. (laughs) And he sent a letter, either it's defund or not. Okay? But I don't want to hear about this border trip. It's a classic Republican maneuver. But it's even more embodied through Tony Gonzalez. You can't make this stuff up. This is where the balance of symbolism or style over substance comes full circle. So Tony Gonzalez, if you don't remember, he's one of the most liberal Republicans. And not just you know across the board on the issues, but on the border, literally. He opposed Chip Roy's border bill and not just opposed it, but he said to not let these people in is anti-Christian. That's what he said. You, you can look it up. And by the way, a, a dear friend of mine, we had him on in December, Victor Avila, former ICE agent, is running against him in a primary. In a sane movement, Tony Gonzalez wouldn't even be able to run for renomination because it would be so abundantly clear he was going to lose. But you know, now, I, I, this is what they do. They screw us on the substance, but then it's like, oh, but I like Trump. Or, oh, he here's a, a border meeting. So now he gets to run an ad in the primary showing him leading a delegation of 60 House Republicans to the border while he literally opposes, I mean violently opposes, anything that will solve it. Classic, classic. And then... One more thing on that point. We'll, we'll come back to this later with Chip. The House Homeland Security under Congressman Mark Green, who's the chairman from Tennessee. He is opening hearings, impeachment hearings on Mayorkas, DHS Secretary Mayorkas. Now, look, I, I've said before that I support that more than impeaching Biden because this will... Make it no one knows who Majorcus is in the country. So it will actually potentially draw more attention to the issue than the person. And I could see a benefit, and I do support it. But my concern looking at what Republicans are doing is, is this a setup to not do defund? Meaning if you do defund, if you have the work together coordinate red states, like we said yesterday in their state legislative agendas to, pass immigration enforcement within the states up until and including deportation, cutting off benefits, criminalizing the presence of illegal aliens within a state as a state crime, and you refuse to move off your budget bill, putting in our provisions, defunding the border invasion, and you're willing to have a government shutdown over it, then I do think that impeachment proceedings um over Mayorkas could help draw attention to the malfeasance and how Majorcas and the Biden administration are aiding and abetting the cartels and the invasion of the country. But if it's just about that, that's typical GOP garbage, and that's my concern. It's never, repeat after me, it's never the issue that matters, and if it is the issue that matters, it's not in the way it matters or the time that it matters. And speaking of in the way it matters, at the time it matters. So there's another issue that some people on the right have glummed onto. Everyone's glummed onto the border. They glum onto the vaccine. Oh, the vaccine's terrible. All right, well, that's that's great. We need people saying that. But again, just like with the border invasion, it's self-evident. Okay, I mean, how many more data points, macro-epidemiological micro-studies of that, that, that you know, surveillance data from Pfizer itself in Europe and the U.S. I mean, we have 50 million things showing this is the most lethal thing ever given to man. And now we have the long-term stuff. So what are you going to do about it? In three years, right, it's, it's literally just this week is about the anniversary of the vaccines coming going public. Beginning of January, three years, we have made no progress at a political level, achieving the things that I laid out, Steve and I laid out in in uh, Rise of the Fourth Reich. If you haven't gotten the book, it's still available on Amazon. The last chapter is where we lay out the agenda of how to ensure this never happens again. How states could have, um, you know, a backstop for safety to make sure these things don't go to market in the state, and certainly, certainly, certainly to ban all biomedical security uh, mandates. And we're going to talk about that with our top legislative priorities in the coming days uh, for the legislative sessions. But you know we have we have no movement, we have no movement in that direction. So, big news today. This should be the biggest news today, and it should be used to buttress more policy ideas. Florida Surgeon General Dr. Joseph Latipo announced that he's calling upon the CDC uh, director and the FDA administrator to take the shots off the market. So mind you, we don't have, to my knowledge, a single red state governor or health director even recommending against the shots, much less taking this step of calling on them to be taken off the market. Now, Evidently, Latipo wrote this letter a month ago Privately, And then when he didn't get a response, he went public with it today. Couple things to focus on here. First, just the policy outcomes, what we need, and then a little bit of the political posturing that's relevant to this. So as far as the policy outcomes, how is there no pressure to bear from the so-called MAGA movement that claims to be offended by the vaccines to get every other governor and health director in a red state to do the same. That's number one. Number two, we need, in the legislatures, bills blocking the COVID shots, blocking any mandates. And again, we have our list from last year of our top kind of 15 medical freedom bills. I don't see much of a movement because it's never about outcomes and substance. It's just about a talking point. So even if it's the right issue, it's never in the right way and at the right time. And finally, How in the world, when we have HHS, so HHS's funding deadline comes due February 2nd, it's a Friday. Two weeks after we said, you know, like agriculture, energy, uh, transportation, HUD, and VA expire, you know, on the 19th. How do they fund through HHS the COVID vaccines? Republicans are not even broaching this issue. They're not even broaching taking it off the market. They're not even broaching the issue of liability and ending the NCVIA of 86 and the PREP Act. We don't even have a vote on a bill years after this. I mean, there's no more studies we could bring. It's, it's just, but but we have one guy. And in the letter, um... Latipo talked about the reverse transcription and DNA and some of the latest findings. We 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 uh, talked about the end of last year, throughout the year, frankly. So that is what we should be doing politically, but we don't. We don't have a movement doing that. Why not? Well, because let's talk about the posturing. So there's there's a very interesting thing going on. Who who is the most influential voice? So I've noticed the same way all conservative media is like Meta Trump, Meta Trump, like they tiptoe around him like with reverence and um, you know any any little thing he does, kind of like a baby taking its first step, yay, yay, clap, and then you know anything bad he does just you know doesn't register. So it's the same thing with a man who rhymes with Tucker. Uh, you know, he's like, oh, like, you know, you have all these conservative media outlets promoting his every word, even if there's nothing profound about it. So anyway, there's this new thing that Tucker has really is really obsessing with Ben Shapiro. He hates Ben Shapiro. Now, most of you are like me, where you're neither Ben Shapiro nor you're, you're something that rhymes with Tucker, right? I mean, it's kind of like this fake pseudo Trump French Revolution crap versus kind of the more the old guard, Republican-oriented talk. Um, again, neither of them is kind of really focused where where it should be. And that's what we try to achieve. But, you know, what, what, what they uh, thrive on is creating a false dichotomy that you're either the establishment, if you're not with us, you're Ben Shapiro, you're establishment, you're this, you're that. So anyway, he's lacing into him for having supported the vaccines. Now, It's a little bit funny because, you know, at the appropriate time, you know, like two and a half years ago, we actually talked about it. I don't get personal. I have nothing against him. He's a decent guy. But we, you know, we debated this and said, you know, Ben was wrong and other people were, were wrong. But Tucker didn't do that. And in fact, let's not forget Tucker is he didn't just support lockdowns. He was the man who was the most instrumental in getting Trump to support them and the arc of history was set by something that rhymes a Tucker. And then he came around on that later. But even the vaccines, now I don't know if he ever promoted them, but Tucker was very late to the game. In other words, unless you could find me wrong, I don't think, so I I started doing shows in March, April, 2021 on the vaccine problems. I don't believe he ever did it in 2021. And I think it was well into 2022 until he started broaching it. But But fine. Okay, interesting. So it's not like, you know, he was maybe a little earlier than Ben, but not that much earlier. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, it's kind of weird. Like, like, again, you didn't focus on the time Ben said it, but you're focused on it now? And then there's the 800-pound gorilla in the room, which is who is more relevant to vaccines, both in terms of getting them on the market, but also in terms of the ability to redress it or not redress it in the future? Ben Shapiro, or Donald Trump. I mean, Ben's irrelevant. Trump is the leader of the right, whether you like it or not. He's the leader of the Republican Party. They want him to be president again. And he has made it clear that this was his greatest thing. It saved millions of lives. He did nothing wrong with COVID. So obviously, he's not going to do any of these things we want him to do. He can't. And yet, Tucker won't talk about him at all, including when he interviews him, ever. Even gently, Lee. You know, there's a couple others that are kind of pro-Trump that at least broached it a little bit. Nothing. But Ben Shapiro is the issue when Ben, yo, has did a mea culpa. Now, you know, you could debate is it enough, you want it to be more, whatever, but at least he said it was wrong. Whereas Trump is much more relevant and to this day promotes it more than the left. So it's a little bit weird. Why are you all of a sudden obsessed with Shapiro? And I think it has a little bit to do with Israel. Tucker has a real axe to grind with Israel for some reason. And he's so pissed, so he wants to sully Ben's name and a, yeah, the vaccines, like, like play to the conservative base when, in the way it matters, at the time it matters, he was on the wrong side. Classic, classic Tucker. I I, I mean... The sleaze knows no bounds, but but he's he's on the UFOs. Let me tell you, he's really gonna gonna discover it. Notice he's never helpful on an issue like a legislative battle when we need it. Even Ukraine, which he obsesses about, but when we actually have a vote on it, we you know, we could sure use his voice. No, it's just kind of again, it's all razzle-dazzle, it's all style, it's all symbolism, never substance, never ever outcomes. And speaking of that, speaking of another classic example of this, Trump announces from Breitbart that he plans, this is this is perfect, he plans to hold massive rallies in New York, New Jersey, New Mexico, and Minnesota. <laughs> so, so this is the thing, we don't even have a ground game in the swing states, frankly, even the red states, Yet somehow, A, you're going to win the blue states, and B, you're going to hold rallies as if that wins elections. When ground game, like, okay, look, I don't care where you stand, you like Trump, hate Trump, whatever. But we all could agree, looking back on 2020, everyone was like, ha, Biden's in his basement, ha, 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 Biden's in his basement, and Trump has all these amazing rallies. But we we're all like, look, but they're gathering ballots. I mean, you know, they're not stupid. And rallies don't win elections. In fact, historically, Walter Mondale in 1984 had larger rallies than Reagan did. And we all know how that turned out. It's meaningless. Right? Because you could, you know, you could... Um, In a country this size, even if you get crushed, like 60-40, the greatest landslides ever, well, 40% is still a lot of people. And you could, you know, if you want to hold events, you could hold events. Mind you, it's a little bit interesting that for some reason he's not holding these events in the primary. It's a little bit funny. It's promising that in the future, but why is he doing a Biden basement campaign now? Classic. Oh, I'm going to win the blue states, but you don't even fight for our issues in the red states have a ground game there and then connected to that classic another classic example of treachery so um, DeSantis goaded Nikki Haley into shamed her into coming and debating him in Iowa five days before the caucuses okay so that's very instrumental You, you want the Iowa voters you go and have a debate in the state he's not Trump is not showing up because he doesn't need our vote Fox is facilitating him by hosting a competing event. So after Fox themselves hosted debates and gave cover to Trump to not show up to them, and by the way, hosted pathetic debates that were much more liberal-oriented, if you remember, than CNN, now they're like, yeah, we don't need those CNN debate. We'll have Trump running interference for him. (laughs) <laughs> Again, and you're telling me uh, the establishment is against Trump. There's not a single establishment that's not pimping him. Um, uh, DeSantis called it out on Laura Ingram. Said, yeah, if Fox has been pimping him left and right. And some of you might have seen that clip when she was like, oh, but you're still on the... You should take your name off the ballot in Colorado. He's like, you know, look, it's wrong. Let's fight it. The Supreme Court will overturn it. I'm considering in Florida taking Biden off the ballot for orchestrating an invasion but dude like what does that serve and then he said by the way do do you think for a minute if this was done to one of us Trump would take his things off and she laughed they all know that it's a one-way street and that's why Scalise and Tom Ember the top five Republicans in the house announced they're all endorsing Trump wow that sounds real insurgency that's real real insurgency there that is just something we've never seen before They don't fear him. It's not like, oh my gosh, Trump's going to shake things up. Dude, we're living eight years into Trump's ironclad monopoly of the Republican Party, four of them as president. And we're worse off than ever. These people are more empowered. Name me a single issue where we've broken the mold. Not stylistically or with symbolism, but with outcomes and substance. Well, you might say Florida, but yeah, that kind of proves my point. It's pathetic. Conservative media is pathetic. The conservative movement is pathetic, and it always has been. There's really nothing new, by the way. This just adds another zanier uh, level to it. But this is all w- where we are. And you know, before we bring on Chip, I just want to briefly <clears throat> touch on the economy. The economy. Never, everyone's like, again, ha, 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 Bidenomics, Bidenomics. Again, symbolism. But when when it comes to the actual substance of the matter, this was all baked under Trump. I don't think you understand. Trump's presidency was a pivotal time. Okay? Remember, the Trump supporters said at the time, it's a Flight 93 election. If we don't save it now, we're lost. So by their own standard, he crashed the plane. Yesterday, we reached $34 trillion in debt, crossed another trillion-dollar milestone. I want you guys to understand this. Since the beginning of 2016, so that does rope in one year of Obama, but you get the point. We're talking about just over the course of eight years. Debt has spiked $15 trillion in eight years. Years. In other words, the entire national debt from the time of our founding spiked 80% in eight years. We could talk about Biden all we want, and certainly he built off of that. But but you know, we, we started to slow Obama spending under the Republican Congress. It did a little bit, and then he could have brought it to the next level and instead went backwards by light years immutably. We crossed the Rubicon, because right now, you know, Republicans might talk about rather than fighting for a government shutdown on the border and the policies, they'll focus a little bit on a couple billion here, a couple billion there. No amount of spending reductions that they would realistically propose are going to be able to roll this back. We are screwed. And by the way, by the way, another irony. two The debt has grown $2.6 just since June, seven months worth since McCarthy and Republicans gave Biden an unlimited suspension of the debt limit for the remainder of his presidency that he called the greatest debt or spending cuts in, in, in history. Remember that? We only had McCarthy to make that deal because Trump pissed on the stronger leverage to get him out this time, literally this day, this time, last year. I mean, it all gets back to, like, what do you want me to tell you? He endorsed DeWine. Every last thing. It's pathetic. Do my colleagues not... See, some of you might think, yeah, they're pathetic, they're, they're too scared. T- to be fair, some of them... Even though they do politics professionally. So, like, you know when you do something professionally, you're an engineer, you're an accountant. You kind of know the subject matter. You would think they know, but maybe they don't know this stuff. They don't follow primaries. They don't follow state legislation. They don't follow any legislation. They follow, oh, the libs did this on social media. What a bunch of a-holes. Utter pathetic losers. And you know who voted for that debt limit suspension? (laughs) The current speaker, Mike Johnson. US interest on debt right now it is averaging if you take the kind of monthly average it's averaging 1.1 trillion annualized that's 250 billion more than our defense budget 250 billion more than medicare 200 billion more than healthcare spending and probably by the end of this year it will reach Social Security, which is the number one expenditure at $1.35 trillion. And by the way, all the COVID economy that Trump created, it created this dynamic where the entire economy is powered by literally 10 companies. You have the Russell 2000, right? The Russell 2000 are kind of the small caps, some mid caps. 40, over 40% of the companies had negative earnings last year. Back in 2006, it was just 20%. And that's that's the problem. We, we said this before, we have the S&P 500, the entirety of the growth was from the top 7 companies, not the bottom 493. And that was all exacerbated. You know, again, it's a, it was in the works for many years with the tendentious a uh, subsidy regulatory regime we have, and you know, manipulated markets, Federal Reserve, but COVID really did that. Never held accountable. I don't know how you get. it. I don't know how you get around this, folks. By the way, but I think one thing you know, we always turn back to making red states red. Now, when it comes to economy, it's it's a much tougher than like a social issue or a you know, a legal policy, law and order, legal immigration, crime, uh, because we're all interconnected. But what I would say is um there is a trend and there are some bills that have been introduced. It's something we want to push with our teams. And if you want to join one of them, sign up at conaction.network. I I know of a bill in New Hampshire and Missouri. There might be more there, I think there are more, to allow states to 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 allow people to use uh, gold and silver as legal tender for, you know, transactions, for paying employees, things like that. That, that, that's ultimately how we break their power. I mean, that's ultimately, you know, when we talk about interposition, nullification, um, constitutional sanctuaries, our sheriff's posse idea, part of this that's really going to break the back ultimately needs to move in this direction to somehow cut the Fed's monopoly on currency and because it's going down anyway. It's going down. But th- this is the sort of vision we need and we're going to talk about this a little bit more tomorrow. We're going to have Andy Roth on of the State Freedom Caucus Network discuss a forward-looking agenda. I'm not just sitting back, "Oh, I'm coming back from vacation" after you know a bunch of weeks doing nothing like a, like a lot of my colleagues and, "Oh, uh, what's in the news? Oh, the Harvard thing. Oh, uh, MIT ball. Oh. You like, "No, they're beating us like anything on every issue." We have a certain amount of power, certain amount of time, and a certain amount of leverage. Here are the prerogatives. Here are the initiatives. Here, here's what we should be doing. There's nobody else, not one in media doing it to the extent we're doing it here, and it's a collaboration. Join one of our teams. We have about a dozen of them up. I don't have every red state yet. Look, we need a team leader in a couple states. We need in Oklahoma. We need in Kansas. Ohio, those are just a few. I could also use North Carolina, because technically, they don't have the governorship, but they have veto-proof majorities in the legislature there. So so that's the leverage there. But I want to go back to the leverage at a federal level and bring on our good friend uh, Chip Roy. So as we all focus this year, this new year, on the states, and that is my pledge to get everything done that I think is in our power in a red state, obviously we can't forget there are leverage points that the United States House has, and we mentioned a few of them. And there's one individual who is very into substance over style, and in fact, he's demonstrating that today by being the only Texas rep not to participate in this charade, oh, let me go See and take some pictures of the invasion. Yeah, like, we kind of know that. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? And he has a plan, and frankly, he had the plan that was the right balance throughout the budget fight last year. And, uh, you know, some didn't want to listen, and here we are. So I figured we'd kick off the year previewing uh, the opportunities and pitfalls in Congress with none other than Chip Roy of Texas 23. Hey, Chip, Happy New Year, and welcome back.
1: Great to be on, Daniel. Uh, happy New Year to you. And, uh, you know, look, uh, we keep moving forward because we're called to do it. And uh, things aren't well, the way you and I want them to be. But, uh, but you know, we're called to finish the race. So let's rock and roll and, and uh, figure out how to save this thing.
0: So what I'm seeing is that they're going down to the border, taking a field trip, and that in the House Homeland Security Committee, they're also starting on impeachment proceedings against Mayorkas, which I think we all support. But there's the biggest piece of the puzzle, and that is that if you cannot harness a budget deadline on an issue of this magnitude that cuts to the core of why we even have a federal government and if we could survive as a civilization, much less a sovereign country, when you have 12 13,000 people from 150 countries coming in every day, and if you're worried more about a government shutdown, we're done. So Is there any progress on that front? And could you kind of preview what you're working on?
1: Well, first of all, um, and I want to do this carefully. I do want to commend uh, Speaker Johnson for focusing on the border. I have no problem with him taking people down to the border. Uh, There may be some of that roughly one third of the Republican conference. You just simply don't know the extent of the depths of the of the, uh, you know, existential threat to us and hopefully they'll see more of it. At least one or two or 10 or 20 of them will be have their eyes open. I find that hard to believe because just watching a simple clip from Bill Malugin every single day ought to tell you what a crisis it is, but that's fine. Take them down there. I couldn't go because I'm not going to continue to participate in going down, talking, then going to a microphone and saying, okay, uh, yeah, this is really bad, and you know we really ought to do something about it, and we're going to do our best, and You know, we ought to, you know, yeah, we shouldn't fund Ukraine without getting border security, but it's not clear, et cetera, et cetera. And so for me, our obligation is to be very clear. Yes, we shouldn't give money to Ukraine. If at all, we certainly shouldn't do it while our border is completely open and under assault. But I think it goes bigger than that. And I'm having a debate literally as we speak. I'm texting back and forth with some colleagues who trot out the usual uh, trope, right? They say, but ship, it's bad politics. We can't,, uh, you know, defund the government or, or withhold funding and appropriations fight because it's border patrol salaries and troop salaries. <laughs> how about you just How about you just simply say, "You know what? We're going to pass a bill that funds the troop salaries and the border patrol salaries, And that's it. Good luck. You've got the bill. You're the Senate, you're the president. We're going to do our job, but we are not going to fund your bloated Nancy Pelosi spending level government while you are assaulting our very way of life. Like there, You can't put it in any other terms. It is a purposeful assault on the American way of life, destroying our civilization and our communities, importing probably three more million people this year, including people from all over the world. Without background checks, without knowing who they are, the vast majority of them pouring through, who are being released into the United States, or gotaways, who are going to be the worst uh, of the bunch. This is real. It has real effects. It's a dereliction of duty. And under what circumstance can I, as a member of Congress, write a check to fund a government that is doing that to the people of this country, but more importantly for me as a member of Congress from Texas, the people of Texas? We can't. We ought to pick that fight. As I was talking last night, yesterday, to some law enforcement officials and people on the ground in South Texas, they said, Chip, except Congressman Roy, actually, they said, Chip, they know me, Chip, uh, shut down the border or shut down the government. It's pretty simple. That's the way they feel, and that's the way I feel.
0: And to be clear, we have tens of thousands of local and state units of Government that will operate. It's the federal government. that will be partially shut down. And if they can't do this, what's the point? I mean, I'm just reading an article from Channel 9 in uh, Tucson. An Arizona man was ambushed right near the SASB border in Mexico. Um, And it's very clear that was cartel. I mean, if you if you read this story, it was out of nowhere. No one knows where they're where they were. And this is what the border towns have to deal with. But, you know, it's obviously going everywhere. Ultimately, even if we have zero illegals starting tomorrow, the amount of people that have come into this country the last few years is beyond the point of no return in terms of social transformation and and you know security problems as well. How do we empower the states? You know, Repo- Republican state legislatures largely are in session for you know, the next couple months. Is there something you could do at a federal level to say, hey, we want to clarify that states could, could deport, they could do what they want? Um, because I just feel we, we, could, we could bring national attention with a shutdown fight, and I think we need it. But ultimately, to affirmatively do what's right, the Biden administration is never going to act actively do what's right. Um, we could try to stop, catch, and release. Don't we need to empower the states?
1: Sure, although I want to be very clear that I believe that states have the power under the Constitution to do what they need to do to secure their own borders and secure their communities, period, end of story. Would I pass legislation <clears throat> double down, doubling down on that and saying, absolutely, this Congress says you shall be not just uh, uh, able to, you're empowered, you're fully able to go do what you need to do? Sure, I'm happy to do that. Um, uh, I just don't think in a free society and under our constitution in a Republican form of government that we have to do that. But I would do it. And uh, bottom line is we'd be smarter to do it. But but honestly, this ought to be fairly simple. We have a bare bones amount of funding in the federal government to do what its core function is, which is to secure the United States. Have a strong military sparingly used, not engage in never ending conflict around the world have a strong border patrol that polices our border with the infrastructure necessary to do it, freeze all entries into the United States until we can ascertain the damage being done to the people here, deport all the people who need to be deported, reestablish sovereignty, regain operational control, and then move forward with a system that works using federal and state and local resources together to actually enforce the law. But you actually have to believe in America's sovereignty and the Western civilization that we represent in order to do that. Biden does not. Democrats do not. Most Republicans do, but many are unwilling to fight for them. And that's the problem. And look, I'm just going to be blunt. I've got Republican colleagues who are getting mad at me because they're like, well, why are you mad at Republicans? Because it's not enough for us to pass bills and then not use the leverage of, yes. of our uh, power of the purse to fight for it. It's not enough to go do uh, press conferences at the border. It's not enough for us to be right on the issue. We have to frigging deliver. I understand we don't control the House and the I'm sorry, the, the White House and the Senate. But da- Daniel, you know and your listeners know a real truth. True or false. If we get the White House back, no matter who it is, we can come to that in a minute. If we hold the House and if we retake the Senate, it is hundred percent certainty we will not have sixty votes in the Senate. <laughs> it is a strong guarantee we will not have an overwhelming majority in the House. What do you think the first thing that you will hear in January 2025 is if that's the fact? We don't
0: have yeah, the votes and we, we, we can't have... have a government shutdown. Correct. And you'll and be, even more so crap. you'll you'll be blamed even more. See, in, in some ways you have more leverage now because the man in charge of the federal government is is not just a Democrat, but a bungling fool. So, you know, I mean, we're not going up against uh, Obama or uh, or Clinton. I mean, this is actually the best guy to have a shutdown fight. When you have your own party, you look like you can't govern. And, and that's a whole nother issue. And we saw that in 2017, 2018. So, I mean, if you don't fight now, you never will. And, and Chip, to your point, it's not just um, the budget bill, but it's also things like the NDAA, Uh, Could you tee up for us what occurred at the end of the year and where things stand on that?
1: Well, it was a complete and total train wreck. And, And Republicans who voted for it should be ashamed of themselves. And that includes a large number of my friends. There was no excuse to vote for a national defense authorization act that perpetuated a FISA spying regime into not just this April, but April of 2025, for an additional 16 months, after all of the information that we now know that was being abused, the FBI and the use of the uh, Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, we advanced it another 16 months, all on the back, an NDAA that largely punted almost all, not all, in fair, in fairness and credit to the fight that we had last fall. We got some things on some DEI and some critical race theory and you know some things that we wanted, but they were small, relatively uh, on a relative basis, we did not get an end to abortion tourism. We did not get an end to funding transgender surgeries. We did not get a full elimination of the of the uh, chief diversity officers and the things that we wanted to get done in there, and a host of other issues in terms of the climate change executive orders and other stuff that we had fought for in the House. We punted most of those things, and we ended up with a FISA extension for 16 months. What in the holy hell is the basis? for Republicans supporting that in December. There is no basis, and I'm happy to debate anybody anywhere, including some of my friends, on that topic.
0: And this is part of the theme, the same thing with the budget bill and the government shutdown. There is nothing that jolts some of your colleagues into a catharsis. Oh, my gosh, this is is different than we've ever dealt with. We really need to do something. It's all the same thing. The government needs to operate. The NDAA needs to pass the troops. But what's the point in having a military if it's like that? You know, over the Christmas break, there was this video circulating from this transgender general uh, just pushing crazy stuff. And I was thinking, what's the point in having a military if we don't address that? Um, and and yet it's just kind of the same thing as usual. And 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 this leads me, gosh, the next thing. I look back at the last eight years, and to me, nothing has fundamentally changed among the way Republicans operate, the sorts of Republicans we elect as governor, senator, and congressman, even even lower than that, uh, down the totem pole. And we're kind of spinning our wheels on everything. So you're not just fighting in Congress, you're one of only three or four House members that have endorsed DeSantis, and you're actually increasingly spending time in Iowa campaigning for DeSantis. Could you talk a little bit about why you're going all in for him at this time?
1: Well, here's the thing. Um, I've been around now long enough to see things come and go, and, and I'm a results guy. And Governor DeSantis is a results leader. He has demonstrated more than any other politician, perhaps in my lifetime, certainly in the recent several decades since President Reagan, he has demonstrated more effectiveness than any other politician I've seen. You literally cannot put into words that in five short years, he has converted Florida from a marginal purplish state, uh, known for basically retirement and palm trees and whatnot, to flipping it to a bastion of freedom, free enterprise, standing up to the tyranny of the COVID tyranny of Anthony Fauci, all at a time when it was being perpetuated and pushed by the former president, President Trump and his regime, um, and, and a number of the governors around the country, including Republicans, Who were all too quick to bow down to the altar of the federal government regime, kiss the ring, and say yes, sir. Now, to be clear, Governor DeSantis started, along with President Trump, listening to them and saying, "Okay, I guess they know the bad virus. We got to do our thing. We'll 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 shut down for a brief period, a few weeks, by the way. We will deal with some of the masking. Okay, I'll trust the vaccine stuff." Then he did what a smart thinking guy would do: researched it figured it out, listened to people, looked at the data, saw that it was all crap, that we needed our economy to be open, we needed business to be open, we needed freedom to reign, we needed to end the mask mandates, we needed to end the vaccine mandate, and he stood up, and he has a strong state to show it. And with all due respect to the former president, I'm a results guy. It is 2023 right now. It, I'm sorry, 2024. We now cross to the next year. It's 2024. And President Trump came into office in 2016 right? In 2017, he ran in 2016, so seven years ago. In seven years, is this country right now better or worse off? Now, you say, Chip, it was much better off, then it got much worse off under Biden. But part of the point of trajectory changes is to change the damn trajectory, Yeah. right? Put laws in place, structures in place that a future president can't abuse. Change minds and hearts so that a future electorate Isn't going to be so cynical that they would allow this kind of garbage actually fundamentally change government actually drain the swamp is the swamp bigger or smaller more powerful or less powerful are we more in debt or less in debt Are our borders more open or less open. And by the way in November of 2020 it's not like everything was hunky-dory the borders were better but they were not secure. Let's be clear. The economy was better, but it was wrecked by COVID, by decisions by the former president. Leadership is demonstrated by results. Ron DeSantis has demonstrated those results. It's not even close if you're being objective and fair about it. So I'll support the nominee, but I know who the nominee ought to be, and it ought to be Ron DeSantis.
0: Yeah, and I think the other big thing people need to understand is there's one thing. If okay, Biden and the the Democrats win an election, they come in. Now we could discuss why they won in the in the first place. Okay, Um, and you know when you fund literally with the bill that he (laughs) uh, was willing to primary Thomas Massey over, uh, you know the entire mail-in ballot regime, you kind of dug your own grave. I would argue just the policies of COVID led to a, a, a good amount of um, strengthening the electoral prowess of the left, even without the mail-in ballots. But then there's also the Republican Party itself. See, there's one thing if every Republican Party official were a Steve Bannon. He'd be like, okay, well, I guess he really changed the party. Okay, Dems are in now, but we'll kick them out, and we'll get a really good Republican Party. I am not seeing much change. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't see... A party of Desantis's, which is why it's like something that we can't afford to lose. Because I don't see someone coming up the totem pole that has that degree of both principle, policy smartness, ability to get elected at, at that high level. I mean, do you, do you see a bunch of Desantis's running for office?
1: Well, I, look, I want to. Every once in a while, i got to play devil's advocate with you. I agree with you in principle and premise. And I think that we are now in an environment in this, this world we've been in now for five to seven years where, where I share some of your concern, right? Um, there's a lot of folks who just kind of jump in and are going to play the sort of, you know, game and, and they get elected and you're like, hey, what are, what are you doing? Where are you taking the country? But let, let me play devil's advocate for a minute. You do have Ron DeSantis, right? He's a young guy, mid-40s, and what he just did. You do have some other leaders that have stood in the breach. You know, Governor Stitt in Oklahoma, who's standing alongside uh, Governor DeSantis and passed some really good legislation and reforms in Oklahoma recently, father of five and a great guy. Kim Reynolds, who stood alongside Governor DeSantis when it would have been easy for her to take a pass. She, she chose the harder path. There are some, you know, members of Congress who are, who are demonstrating a lot of courage, not just in the Freedom Caucus, but generally. Uh, We we managed to pass HR2. Daniel, would you have ever guessed that we would have gotten through the House of Representatives a bill as strong as HR2 if we hadn't fought last year like we did? And it took a lot of us fighting hard to do it. So there are some stars. There are some people fighting. And there are some citizens. Riley Gaines sticking her middle finger up at the entire education establishment and the woke brigade that were challenging her, and she's a shining star um, that's willing to do that. Or Chloe Cole, who is willing to stand up and say that this stupid you know, forced transition crap is, is actually destroying human beings' lives. And she stood up bravely and testified in Congress. Scott Smith in Loudoun County, Mark Halk in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, other people around the country who are fed up and have had it, sheriffs in South Texas, people who are standing up and trying to do what they can. Now, do we need more of it? Do we need to organize it better? Do we need leaders to stand up and galvanize and be at the tip of the spear and so people will get in behind them? Yes, we do need more of that. That's why I'm supporting DeSantis. That's why I do what I yep. do. It's for my kids and my grandkids.
0: In other words, what you're saying is there's a lot of raw materials to work with because the left is so insane and destructive. The time is ripe for a countercultural movement. Um, and, and and we do have signs of the building blocks, but ultimately you need a leader. To get us focused Correct. on results, on substance, not just the style or the symbolism, which we've been talking about today. Um, oh, wow, man, we are I'd love to broach more congressional issues with you.
1: Daniel, here's important. and We can talk wherever you want to go. We need a leader or leaders who will win minds and hearts and inspire. I'm not saying I always get that right or Governor DeSantis always gets that right. But I know what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to, we don't govern in the house we we represent, but I'm trying to do my job representing and leading. I'm trying to do it in a way that will demonstrate what we can achieve rather than what we cannot. Most of my colleagues are stuck in a box and they tell me what we cannot do. And they won't get out and lead and go forward and say, you know what we can do if we fight and inspire? Like, do you think? that the 180-odd men who were on the wall at the Alamo, do you think they were standing on the wall going, yeah, we got this, 100%, no problem, we're going to take out all 5,000 of Santa Ana's, we're going to be good, and then we're going to go kick back and have some margaritas? you think that's what they were doing? Or do you think they were sitting there going, well, oh, crap, this probably ain't going to work out that well. But damn it, I have a duty, an obligation, honor means something. and And so we now, you know, regaled those fellas now almost 200 years later coming up in, a, in about a decade and because they did that but but where that's the question today is where are those people today and i think we're seeing signs of it is what i'm trying yep. to say cuz otherwise look Daniel, you know your listeners you and me we'll get all negative we're going to get beat down about 34 trillion dollars of debt open borders i got to hang on to the fact that there's a bunch of americans who get it and they want to do something about it They're recognizing you're not going to get salvation from the United States Congress. All I can do up here is stick my fingers in the dike, do my damnedest to highlight and be a basically a prophet, a a secular prophet of what we know is happening in this hellhole and then get Americans to understand, reclaim your rightful place as an American. Texans, do your part. Secure your own damn border. Texans have a right to do that. Tell the federal government to stick it up their ass. And let's reclaim our rightful place as Americans. That's what we do.
0: And and, and I think it's, it's that optimistic view is what's fueling my agenda here and why I think that you take large swaths of the country, and parts of Texas are certainly included in that, where super majorities vote against Democrats. So, you know, not that Republicans are usually great, but in the minds of the voters, they want roughly what we want, and that's why they're voting the way they do. And we have a lot of places we point out, you know, like state legislative sessions, where we have decent bills on our top 10 issues that uh, are being filed all over the country. We point them out every day. If we only had leadership in a movement to harness that and take those people and those ideas and bring them out to where the majority of the people in those states want things to go – We can accomplish a lot, right? Because, you know, you're up there. It's like, okay, a few-seat majority, a lot of rhinos, a lot of problems, and Dems have the Senate. But, you know, all these other states, there's no excuse. The building blocks are all there. We just need to stay focused. And I think you're right. It will take a leader of the party to actually break us out of the current mold and into the mold that we want to go. Before we close up, what is one thing that you feel people don't know enough about DeSantis that they should know from all the time you spent around him on the campaign trail?
1: There are so many things, but I'm going to give you two. First and most importantly is the human being that he is, the husband, the father, the person who signed up to join the Navy when he didn't have to, uh, being, you know, highly educated in at two Ivy League universities, having worked himself up from blue collar roots, um, the guy chose to serve. He's always chosen to serve. He loves this country. He didn't have to run for president, truly. Um, He is doing what uh, he thinks is right to help save this country. And um, that's number one. And number two is, I would tell you something that people don't know that they ought to know, and I've alluded to it, and I can't get totally specific. Let's just say there are a lot of billionaires who were all too happy about eight months ago to throw tens of millions of dollars around under the theory that they would push the governor back away from standing up for life in Florida. Mm. And Governor DeSantis told them to pound sand. Yes. And he did so because he was representing the people of Florida. He stood up and he said, I'm the governor of Florida. We're going to stand for life. We're going to pass a heartbeat bill and I'm not going to be cowed. By billionaires who want to run away from that issue. But you know which governor went down and, you know, to kiss the ring for all the money? Former governor of South Carolina, Nikki Haley, who went around and said, Yeah, I'll take all of your establishment money. And the bottom line is, I'm not saying Governor DeSantis didn't take some establishment money. What I'm saying is, he wouldn't be bought.
0: He wouldn't be bought. And that
1: matters. And H- importantly, this is important to say too, he also stared down. Susan B. Anthony and the other pro-life groups whom I love when we do a lot of good pro-life bills and happy to work with, when a whole bunch of folks said, you better do a 15-week national ban. And I can make an argument for a 15-week national ban. I can make that legal case. But I'm going to tell you, it's not something that we should be advancing when we have stood up for 50 years saying the court overstepped its bounds and we need to return this issue to the states. That's exactly what the court did. We need to go stand up for life, win minds and hearts, protect mothers and babies both, do policies that are in support of adoption. We've won by standing up for the Constitution and life. Governor DeSantis, he led. He wasn't being pushed around by any side of the spectrum. That's the kind of leadership you need, and that's what a lot of people don't know.
0: That certainly is something people don't know and need to know. And that's certainly something we need because money makes the world go round. And the reason we don't have conservatives is because, well, we don't have the money. And in order to get the money, it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough. And, uh, you know, you, you have a long year ahead of you. Starts off a little bit slower than last year did, (laughs) but uh, really appreciate you standing in the breach and you'll keep us updated as time goes on. Take care.
1: God bless, Daniel. Take care.
0: God bless. Well, folks, that was the one and only Chip Roy. No one quite like him. Um, very candid, there, a lot to unpack, and we're pretty much out of time. I just want to comment on the one thing he said. It, a lot of people really forget this. You know, you'll find the media is making fun out of DeSantis, saying his campaign is bankrupt. He's, I mean, they're not wrong. I mean, it's not bankrupt, but um, he he does not have a lot of money given his prominence. Um, He started out with a lot because the donors thought, you know, some of these donors, they didn't like Trump because they want someone who could win, but they also want an establishment. It was before Nikki really kind of came up and they felt they knew DeSantis was very conservative. They thought they could buy him and he literally flushed it. He said no. And that's the thing. Obviously, if you're going to be a major figure in the party, unless you plan on, you know, moving away to a new party, which we should, you're never going to take some establishment money. But the thing is, everyone that changes them, he is willing to lose it. And he, he he he's like that at a campaign level. He's also like that at a governing level. He's turned down so many federal grants for Florida. That is the core of what we've been lacking in the Republican Party. That's why Republicans aren't Republican. That's why red states aren't red. It all gets back to that. That's why conservative talkers have no principles. That's why elected officials have no officials. they got to find money, and the money in in right-leaning circles is not really right-leaning. There might be elements of the left they don't like, so that's why they want to fund a Republican Party. But for the most part, you're on a collision course on a lot of the critical issues. And he gave that up. And think of the juxtaposition. Trump has all the money and name recognition you could imagine. And because him and his circle is so connected to Bud Light, they they dumped on the most successful boycott for the trannies because, well, they're big Republican donors. I want you to think about that and think about that heart. That, my friends, is what we call substance over symbolism and style, outcomes and result over nonsense. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all. Thank you for listening.